Hello ladies and gents and welcome to the Al Foran podcast sponsored by Betfred and produced by Feed Ignite. I just want to apologise before I introduce my brilliant guest this week folks. My sound quality was absolutely dreadful. Um, I had some technical issues during this um, podcast interview. Uh, They have since been resolved which is why the sound is actually a lot better in the intro. So, massive apologies for that. But the main thing is, my guest, his sound was pretty crisp and clear, which is the main thing, uh, because this podcast is all about the guests. It's all about the guests and their brilliant stories and just having generally a great laugh with them. And my guest this week, folks, was Jan Aga Fjertoft. Obviously, Jan spent a couple of years playing in England, played for Swindon Town in the Premier League, played for Middlesbrough, linked up with the magician that was Juninho. I think he was one of the first Brazilians to come into the Premier League at that time, so it was very, it was a very exciting time in the mid-90s. Uh, Jan, as well as, you know, he's a prolific Norwegian international, scored 20 goals for his um, home country. Uh, just a really humble guy. And just, you could tell... He he just enjoyed every aspect of his career as a player. So I really enjoyed speaking to him. He spoke about his time, obviously, at Swindon, Middlesbrough, Sheffield United, Barnsley. Uh, We added a couple of impressions in there at the end. Apologies if the sound is terrible for them as well. So, yeah. Um, But Jan was just... It was a brilliant interview. There's There's also an unbelievable story about Louis van Gaal that I just... I. I'm still thinking about it and I think it's the funniest thing ever because it's such a, a Louis van Gaal thing to do. Uh, and of course we talk about, you know, Jan is, a, is also a journalist so we talk about um, the current transfer rumours. Uh, will the Jaden Sancho transfer saga finally come to its conclusion in the upcoming summer transfer window? We speak a lot about that. Um, we speak about Erling Haaland who is... Probably one of the most exciting footballers that we've seen in a very, very long time. Um, so he's got a bright future ahead of him. And, you know, what better what better person to talk to about it than, than Jan Agafjertoft, uh, a player very similar to, to Holland with regards to he's a striker. He's tall, he was quick, so yeah, it's um, it's a great it's a great listen. I really hope you enjoy it, folks. And again, massive apologies for the sound quality. It, it's resolved and it's going to be fixed for next week's episode. So I really do apologize uh, for that. But anyway, folks, it's the Alforn Podcast, sponsored by Betfred, produced by Feed Ignite, Season Two, Episode Sixteen. Jan Egafjortoft. Enjoy, folks. Game on. Get £30 in free bets from Betfred when you sign up and stake a tenner. Football, racing, rugby, boxing. Betfred have markets available on all of the biggest matches, races, fights and more. Download the Betfred app from the App Store or Google Play Store or sign up through betfred.com. Game on. 18 plus BeGambleAware.org, UK and Northern Ireland only. First sports bet of £10 and over in one transaction, settled in 60 days. Odds evens, brackets 2.0 and over. £30 free bet paid within 10 hours of bet settlement, 7 day expiry. Payment restrictions apply. SMS validation may be required. Full terms and conditions apply. Please gamble responsibly. 
I'm pleased to be joined with Jan Agafjortoft. Is that the correct, correct way to pronounce it, Jan? What you have learned now in English football, slowly. First of all, you've got a manager of Manchester United who yes. has one of our letters, A, so he's Solskjaer. Yes. And then you have at, uh, at Arsenal, you've got Martin uh, de Gore. Yes. To make things a bit more complicated, I put in the third letter that we have and you don't have is an O. That's an A with a circle over. So my my proper Norwegian thing to say is Jan Åge Fjørtoft. Jan Åge Fjørtoft. But you can call me Jan. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jan. I really do appreciate it. And um, pleasure, yeah. Al. I'm a big fan. You know that. I love your I love your impressions on on Twitter. <laughs> I love them. I love. Uh, them. Thank you, mate. Thank you. I hope I hope the Ole impression goes down well. They do, they do. Most of the footballers, or the footballers I know, of course, from meeting them up live, and I think it's so brilliant how you take these small things out of them and like, like build them up, blow it up, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's getting the small little details to each impression and kind of incorporating that into the video, but overdoing it. (laughs) You get what I mean. yeah, Jan, I just wanted to talk about, obviously, I know every time you appear in a podcast, you kind of talk about what's currently going on in terms of transfer rumours and league positions, but I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to talk to, you know, the, the man who spent five years in England. Uh, you, had a, you had a pretty pretty fantastic career in England as well. Um, your time in Austria, and of course, starting off in, in Norway as well, and then finishing your career in Norway and also Germany before that. But I, I just wanted to kind of talk about your childhood in, in Norway and what kind of gravitated you towards football? Because I know Norway is just, it's such a passionate country when it comes to football, especially um, English football. You know, there's just, there's a, there's a massive array of Liverpool and Man United fans based in Norway. And um, actually a good friend of mine who does work for TV2, he was actually, I'm very lucky to call him a work colleague, uh, Christian von Strenger, yeah. um, he's a genius. Uh, he, he's he's he grew up a Liverpool fan. As well. Yes, I think I think it's right, and I always say that in Norway you can kind of uh, tell me when you're born, and I'll I'll tell you who you support because in Norway because we had from 69, 1969, we always on Saturdays had a match of the day, and when I grew up we we didn't have a lot of games, but we have one live game, and that was always our time four o'clock, your time three, of course. So four o'clock, that was a holy time. I So I'm born in 67. So then we can take, when I start reading tables and things like that, that wouldn't be Manchester United because the Manchester United were a bit on a downfall. It could have been Liverpool. But I ended up, I'm sorry to say, it was Leeds United. Please. Because at that time, the first, the first game I remember, that was... Uh, uh, the World Cup final between West Germany and Holland. That was in 74. Mm. Uh, I, I was a big fan of Johan Cruyff and the, the Dutch team. But I noticed that these Germans still winning. And the, the second game I remember uh, is uh, Leeds United uh, by Munich. And, and Leeds United unfairly treated as Leeds United often are. We have been that for a generation, <laughs> generations. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, then Leeds United lost to Bayern Munich, but I still noticed that this German kind of way. So also, I was a, a fan of German football from that time on. But like my dad, who is, um, he's born coming into that time of the disaster in Munich. 
So he's a devoted Manchester United fan. He is uh, uh, he's 78, I think now, uh, 78. And I was home uh, uh, the last weekend and he's sitting in his shirt watching every game. Uh, so it's so like you say, we are very passionate about English football. And that was because that was the only thing we got. And what we learned later, which is quite, quite funny, because it's a lot of Norwegians are fans of Birmingham, Stoke, Aston Villa. And that was because at that time, and I didn't know that because I was just a kid running around in, in my small village, but that was because when we got that match of the day, we were just offered games from the Midlands. So there was a BBC Midlands or whatever. So they just gave us those teams. So yeah. we didn't see a lot of, uh, uh, in that time, Manchester United, Liverpool, uh, Manchester United, so, so-and-so, a bit down that, that time, but we saw them, in, uh, we saw them at the, the finals. Uh, of course, in the, in the FA Cup final, League Cup finals were also live. But, but like you said, I come from a very, very small village, uh, and I'm I'm the kind of the anti-academy kind of uh, upbringing. Uh, mm. I played my first game when I was nine. Uh, I said to my son that he was more or less burned out when he was nine because he played so many games. And I played my first game when I was nine. When I was fourteen, uh, my dad. My dad was my coach, but the problem, he was in the North Sea uh, looking for oil. And he said that the, the skipper on the other uh, shift should be my coach. He had never been a coach in his life. His name was Olav. And I always remember that because I always say that five years before I made my first cap for Norway, it was the guy on the other shift who was my coach. And I think that is a part of the upbringing of a lot of young players around the coast of Norway because we weren't very organized. So we that was our kind of street footballer term that you use in England. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's as well, yeah, street football is so big kind of, you know, throughout the years. I, I played all my football on my on my little road. You know, that was my that was my thing when I was young. But I barely see it now. That's the problem. I don't that's the problem, yeah. I, I agree. And and then then you are you are you are so dying when you see a footballer that kind of act like a street footballer on the pitch, that he got a bit ups and downs, trying a bit. Uh, I put my, my I, I would I would Grealish there. I mean, uh, he's like yeah. that kind of guy who just goes out there having fun. I, I don't know him. Uh, I've never spoken to him. I never interviewed him. But mm. he's, he just come forward that one of those guys just go out there, loves his football, doing all his funny uh, stuffs. And yeah, and, yeah so I, I'm, I'm so glad when I see those kind of footballers. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, it's, it is. It's, it's, a ple- it's a pleasure to watch a guy like Jack Grealish week in, week out. Um, very rare player in these You'll days. You'll probably get into Old Trafford, won't you? That's your, that's your- <laughs> Fingers crossed, I'd, I'd like it. <laughs> but um, I just want to talk obviously about your early career. You made your debut as a 17 year old in 1984 um, for Hood. Is that the name? Hood? Yeah, well, well, that is the uh, Hood. Hood. For Hood in, in 1984. And how was that? How was kind of, you know, starting off obviously in the, the Norwegian leagues? Was, was it the second division? You yeah, that was the second, second level. And we, we were lucky because uh, I'm, I'm from the coast. If you have a look at the Norwegian map, you will find mm-hmm. my village nearly as west as you can come in Norway, uh, out in the sea. So the, the next door neighbor is Iceland. It's like, it's like by, by the coast. But we were very fortunate that in our region, uh, we had a, 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 like a, a team that just suddenly came from nowhere, a generation of football players who went to all the top. And they, they created 
a culture in the 70s. So when we came into the 80s, they were not in the top league, but they still had a great culture of footballers who had made it. So for me, coming from a small village to even think, think that thought that I should be professional or or even play for HUD was was just a, a, a lost dream. It wasn't even a dream. But then I managed to, after scoring a lot of goals for my home club, then I, I came to HUD and a lot of these um, former players, there were no coaches and, and the biggest star of them was a, a guy called Chetil Hasun who played had 16 caps for Norway and was a, like a local hero in the region. He was the assistant coach. And when I came in a bit when I was 16, training with him, and then when I was 17, came in, uh, he looked after me. Uh, and and I, I, uh, it was so good for me to be kind of influenced, coached by, by his thoughts. So, mm. so we were lucky to have a club uh, very close to us that took us to the next step. Uh, this, is, this is a region, in Norway used to be 19 regions. Uh, and my region is called Mör uh, or Rumstal. Uh, and the biggest team in that region is Molde. Uh, Molde, where Ola comes from. Uh, and so I had many, uh, two or three times offers from, from, from Molde. But for me, when I was at HUD, there was like, that was a bit of rivalry. So when yeah. I was at HUD, so when I, then I, when, when I, then I left HUD and I felt it was time to take the next step. I, when I was 18, I had a fantastic season. I scored. Uh, 25 goals in 22 games, and I could I could go wherever. And then I felt Molde was too close. It was uh, was funny because I felt that when I moved from home, I need to move big time and yeah. take the next step. And then I went to to the top league, one of the young teams uh, called Hamkam, and a lot of which which always is a bit underestimated because sometimes you. When you choose a club, uh, at least at that level, you kind of look for people you know from before. You, you I, I played with five players of them in the youth team, the under twenty one, uh, and yeah, and then I moved to Hamar, with a city of thirty forty thousand people. So for me, that was to yeah. move to New York, coming from my village. Yeah, yeah that was a big transition, obviously. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But you, you, you caught the area of um, Rapid Vienna in Australia, and um, you, you know you. Obviously, it made such an impact, obviously, in, in Norway for the years, and Vienna came in, and uh, I believe you were only the second ever player from a foreign country to win Player of the Year in the Austrian League in 1989. So yeah. it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of a, of a, young, of, of a young striker uh, going, going around these days uh, by the name of Holland, you know, playing his trade in, in Austria at first and then kind of, you know, getting the recognition from... It was at that time in Norway, we didn't have a lot of professionals. It was first in the beginning of the 90s when the Premier League was, was founded. A lot of Norwegians went over and, and, and I went to Austria. I played against Austria uh, for the national team and I scored and they looked for a striker. And they kind of uh, got me, um, well, they called me and said, can you come down? Uh, and my club, Lillestrøm, at that moment, I, I won the league with Lillestrøm before yes, I left. Yes, yes, yeah. And I, I, I was a top scorer, and, and that was good for my CV, so mm -hmm. to say. But Austria at that time wasn't well known in Norway. But but, but there was a guy called Hans Krankel, and his of his generation, he was one of the best goal scorers. So I was lucky again. I I think when I see it now in my back mirror, again I I was able to work with a with a with a striker as a coach. And I always took advantage of that because I think you can always learn from people 
in and around you. So, so at the time, when, this is uh, before, a long, long before Holland, but at the time, their biggest transfer fee going abroad in Norway was £70,000, and I was sold for three hundred. So it was a, it was a major, major, major thing. And I stayed four years in Austria. I should have probably stayed two or three. But this, these were the days where there were no bossmen. So if your contract came to an end, you were kind of waiting for what the club would do. They could do whatever they want, really, because they could have taken a fee of you too high or too, and and then they would give you a bad contract, maybe. But I had four fantastic years in Vienna. And people haven't been in Vienna. You have to travel to Vienna, the most beautiful place in the world. Oh, it's, it's supposed to be beautiful. My um, my fiance's uncle has lived there for, I believe, maybe 30, 35 years. Oh, brilliant. You uh, have to visit. You have to visit. No, we have to, we have to, especially with our, with our little child as well. And yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but you obviously, you move away from Austria and you make that move to, to Swindon. Yeah. yeah where you became, you've become a legend, a cult hero at, at that club um, in the summer of 1993. And that was obviously, you know, you've, you're, you've arrived in England. It's obviously a huge dream. This has been a league that you've been watching as a kid. Um, how, how, how was it settling in? Because I know it kind of took you a couple of months to, to hit the ground running in terms of, of goal scoring. And I've, I've heard you in interviews, once, once you settled in, it was just uh, such an easy transition for you. You know, you could, you could cope with the physicality of the league. Obviously, you're a tall, tall striker, you know, very, very strong and good in the air as well. So how was that for you? It's a it's a very good question and good observations because sometimes and we see that now. Let, let's put Chelsea. They they buy Timo Werner. They buy uh, uh, Kai Havertz. Yeah, great talents, fantastic players. Uh, but they they you need time to adjust. And I think that sometimes that is very underestimated. And as we are speaking, we are, we just saw the uh, uh, the game last night with Manchester United West Ham. Mm. And, and I think I think that. When when we we do analysis of, of of players, we forget that these pe- people are young kids. They yeah. are. They, you see that with uh, De Beck, you can see his self confidence is so low, yeah. and there can be hundred reasons for that. It doesn't have to be anything with training or the way uh, the the league is. It can be, just be the simple thing to move to another country with a new new language in yeah. a new city to understand everything. And when I came to England in '93. Uh, like you said, it was a dream come true. I can still, I, I still get goosebumps for traveling into Heathrow, knowing that I, I was supposed to play in the Premiership. This is the <laughs> second year of the Premiership. It was like an unbelievable feeling. Uh, uh, but it took me time. I was unlucky. The first game, I got a, a knock against Sheffield United. I got a knock, but I think that would have same would have happened anyway because it took me time to kind of understand the speed of the game, and then. Three or four or five games, I didn't score. There was a headlines not scoring. Then I started doubting myself. Do I have to change the way I'm playing? Uh, what do I have to do? Am I quick enough? Uh, and at the same time, the funny thing, I scored a lot of goals for Norway. And it was like, mm-hmm. so I couldn't get grip of this. How should I do that? And, um, and, 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 and you were very kind to me saying that it only took two months. It, I felt it like it took like 20 years, but it, it took, me, took me till January. Uh, uh, in the first season, I played 10 or 11 games, lost my place in the team, in the premiership. I was around, I came on in different games. But in January, um, 
our striker was cup tied, and I got my first game uh, goal Ipswich away from home. Uh, it's a home game against Tottenham, which is quite funny because in goal for that team is Eric Torstwet. Eric Torstwet was my roommate at the national team. He helped me awful lot. Oh, okay, Bex, calm down, calm down, Bex. <laughs> you see people. <laughs> so, so he, so, uh, so, so we play uh, uh, Tottenham, and after 13, 14 minutes, he gets an injury and is carried off. So I, I'm running over to him, and I said, "You are a coward." Because I was now supposed to score my first goal in the Premiership, and I would love to score that against you. He went off, and and on came Ian Walker, and five six minutes later, I scored my score. Bex, Bex, I scored my first goal in the Premiership, and and from then on and out, I I, I say like, I didn't know why I scored no goals in the beginning, and I I couldn't understand how I scored so many goals because I think I scored. 12-ish goalish in 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 uh, in 14 games or something. It was yeah. like unbelievable. So it's at that point, Coventry, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I got my hat trick uh, and uh, and uh, and I, as and a journalist, uh, I remember made a story because from the sea, from that time and out, it was only Leticia who scored more goals than me in the Premiership, and uh, and everybody said, yeah, what would have happened if? But the, the funny thing is that this Swindon team that was a f- that was a very funny team. We had a we had a coach called John Gorman, a Scottish guy. He always worked with Glenn Hoddle or even mm-hmm. Franklin. And he was he loved his football, but he was so passionate about passing. So yeah. we like to defend. So if we lost five, we got five against Liverpool and we bought a striker. We got five against Southampton and we bought another striker. We lost 7-1 to Newcastle. Uh, on the bus home, our captain, Sean Taylor, said... Uh, um, uh, well, Andy Cole didn't score, and I said, "For fuck's sake, everybody else did in that team." Uh, and three days later, uh, John Gorman came to me and he said, "Jan, we did some great passing in that game." So, so we conceded hundred goals, and which which was a bit now it's funny, but at that time yeah. it was very humiliating. Yeah. Uh, so we scored. Uh, I think we scored. Uh, there were like five or six teams, or, or Arsenal was fourth, I think, and we scored the same amount of goals like them. But we couldn't see the goals for fun the whole season. But but the thing is, I would have loved to play for the big, big clubs in England, but yeah. I, uh, for different reasons. Uh, and uh, But I was lucky in my five, six years in England to play at a time in the club when there was an unbelievable like enthusiasm around the team. And, I, and for yeah. Sweden, Traveling around in England, being in the Premiership was like unbelievable. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. I, I'd imagine it's just a dream come true as well for someone who's grown up on that league. You know, your your father's a huge Manchester United fan as well. You're a Leeds United fan. It's just yeah, it's 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 probably it's amazing. There's not I, I don't I can't relate to the feeling. I'm not a footballer, but I'd imagine for any young footballer. Coming in, you know, coming into the Premier League, it's it's a, it's a big thing. But um, I just I just want to say, Al, because I, some one of one of the reasons that that I think that when when I can see now in the back mirror why I did okay in my career was mm-hmm. one of those things that I, I I think I always I always was a part of the football scene as a fan. When I was at Swindon, because I played for different clubs, and people said, "Yeah, but how was it to play for different clubs?" Well. When, when you come to a club, you kind of identify with the people in and around. I played in four different countries. I'm a bit, I'm a bit Austrian, I'm a bit English, I'm a bit uh, German, and I'm a bit Norwegian. I'm mostly Norwegian, of course. Mm. But I think it's so important to understand 
where, where the people are, uh, uh, yeah. where the people are. What does this mean to the people? Uh, and I think that a lot of some players do. Some players, it's, it's nothing to do how many years you're staying at the club. Yeah. It's more that you see a, a players that kind of identify with the culture. And I think that is one of the basic things if you come to a club is to understand the culture of a club. Yeah. And, 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 and I think the latest by Manchester United is Bruno Fernandes. It's just, it's, it felt like he was three minutes at Manchester United and then he understood what Manchester United yeah. meant to be. And you see those kind of players that suddenly come into club, not only that they are quality players, but I think that is so important for fans to, to see them. That And when, when I was... I was fortunate to play against the best team. I was fortunate to score against Manchester United and Liverpool. And I remember when I scored against them, I, when, when I celebrated, yes, I was very happy to score. But I, I, I was still there to think, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. I scored against Manchester United. It's like yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that is a, that is a good uh, skill to have, uh, whatever you do in life, to try to see yourself a bit from outside yeah. things you are doing. Of course, it's, and it's great. It's very, it's lovely to hear that perspective as well. You know, from you scoring against those big clubs and that feeling that, that you had, because it is, it's kind of, you have to kind of take a step back and realize, well. <laughs> yeah, it is, but it is wow. And I think that we, we I think that every human being will have woes in their lives because uh, sometimes we just measure people what they do on a football pitch or on a stage or uh, whatever. But I think that every every human being we, we will even now after my career I always look for for the targets to reach and, and and sometimes you have to be a part of your life. I think a lot of us is just like we, we are playing part of our life, but we should also be a taking part and see yourself from outside so we understand the position we are in. When I went to Barnsley, the first thing I understood. Uh, or had to learn was what Barnsley was all about. Barnsley was Maggie Thatcher. It was the coal mines, and mm-hmm. and and when they w- we were traveling, we, our away shirt was a yellow with light blue shorts, and our fans from Barnsley were singing. It's just like watching Brazil, and I think that <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic to, to, to <laughs> find an <that> identity. <laughs> um, talk to me about your because obviously you made such an impact. For Swindon, obviously they, they got relegated um, in that, that first season, but you caught the eye of Middlesbrough. Um, well, in, in the division, I have to remember, it was Division One back then. Um, you'd scored 25 goals for Swindon that season, and Middlesbrough signed you for a record, a club record fee of £1.3 million, which was uh, people forget that's a lot of money. People look at £1 million now, obviously, and think, oh, that was a lot of money back then. It was. A lot of money. Um, but then you, you arrived at Middlesbrough, they got promoted, then you're back again in the Premiership. Um, talk to me about your, 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 um, your days at Middlesbrough because obviously, you know, very, you had a very kind of prolific partnership with Juninho, who was just, where, you know, I even remember as a kid when Juninho arrived, it was like, it was the most amazing thing anybody had ever seen. Yeah, it was. Brazilian, this skillful Brazilian has arrived in the Premiership. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, but I want to, uh, like you said, I scored a lot of goals for for Swindon Town, I, yeah. and, I, and I was linked to a lot of clubs, but. For some reason or whatever, the, 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 they didn't pay enough money, and then I was the biggest, the, the worst. I thought that I would go straight back to the Premiership, but but uh, eight eight rounds before the end of the Championship, and I had played mm. Middlesbrough a 
couple of times. I think I scored in both games for us against them. And there was another unknown guy called Brian Robson with his assistant, Viv Anderson, uh, who was there. And I was the worst gambler in the world because I remember when Brian Robson called me at home when he came to R, I had said yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, because it was Brian Robson calling, and I wow. Uh, so, so Brian Robson called. Uh, I remember uh, I got the permission from Swindon Town to to go and meet him, and they put forward this new thing that we're going to play now, uh, eight games in the championship. We hopefully we can get promotion promoted, and you will help us doing that. But then after that, we're building a new stadium. See how far we'll come. That will be the first game of the season. But it was a good yeah. sell. And I called Henning Berg, uh, who and then uh, I was at Manchester United. And I said to Henning, and he was a very good friend of mine at that time, and I said to Henning, you've been in Middlesbrough. How is life there? And he said, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Thank you, mate. Good good advice. Uh, <laughs> I, but, but I wanted to be a part of that because coming to Middlesbrough at that time, as you said, record signing 1.3 million and, and like four months later, it was 5 million and then it was 10 million and then it was 12 million. So the club was going somewhere. They had a fantastic chairman, the same as today, Steve Gibson. Uh, and it was, a, it was a very Manchester United kind of club because with Brian Robson, Viv Anderson, Clayton Blackmore. Uh, yeah. And I remember even in one, one training and I was like, what is going on? Suddenly Norman Whiteside was kicking with us. It was <laughs> Training, but then we then we got uh, uh, we we played the first game at the, the Riverside Stadium, and I got what they call the Bus Aldrin goal because I scored a second one. Uh, Craig Ignat scored the first. We beat Chelsea at home, yeah. and it was, it was a fantastic bus around us. We uh, the first game of the season, we went to Arsenal, played one one. I think that was Dennis Bergkamp's first game, uh, and and but then as you said, then arrived the player that, that's the best player I've ever played with. The yeah. thing. In training, I always call him the Harry Potter of football because he took he took on whole teams. He was like when he was like he was a guy who just put up the ball that you see sometimes in ice hockey when they get the ball behind the goal and then they start going. And he did that all the time. And uh, he, he later World Cup winner, uh, of course, Juninho, fantastic player. Uh, and, uh, then we signed uh, Fabrizio Ravanelli. He just won the champion Champions League. And then he certainly was at Riverside in Middlesbrough. <laughs> oh, 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 fans didn't get it. Brian Rob and, and I, uh, Ravanelli didn't get it. And and it, that was a funny because it was a crash of cultures with Fabrizio yeah. coming. And I remember sitting in the restaurant. He, Italian footballers never pay at the restaurants. So he would say, okay, Jan, we go. And I said, but we can't go. We have to pay. No, no, no. I said, yes, we have to pay the bill. And I said, no problem. If don't play, they send Bill Middlesbrough. So they were like, what is going on? And he was used, <laughs> he was used to do that in Torino all the time. And 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 he so they signed uh, Fabrizio Ravanelli and they signed Mikkel Beck, who was a young Danish national striker. Mm. And we played and we played with one striker up front. So it was like <laughs> Diana said, it was a bit crowded, and uh, <laughs> I and then I moved on, but. I had a fantastic years in uh, at Middlesbrough, and uh, being at a, a region at that time when we had 30, 40 fans, uh, Sunderland had 50, uh, Newcastle had 60, 70s. It was a fantastic time to be up yeah. north. Yeah, and they were a great club in there. From when they were in the Premiership, you know, even up to 
the days where I think it was Steve McLaren. Didn't Steve McLaren get them today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Cup final at, at the time. You know, Middlesbrough, they were always kind of a little bogey team for Manchester United as well. Yeah. They always caused trouble to, you know, to Manchester United. But you won, you won the league there once, didn't you? I think that was the they end did, Yes, they did. 95-96, the Ryan Leeks goal. But any other, my memories of Middlesbrough and Man United were just always caused us trouble. Always. <laughs> when you're a big fan like you, and I, 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 I train every morning through the corona time, I go with a guy every morning at 7 o'clock, and he's yeah. a big United fan, and, and, and he told me this morning, he said, but the thing is, Jan, every time West Ham came forward, I felt like they were scoring. And I said, no, they didn't. They didn't create one chance. And he said, and I said, that's just a typical fan, because you think that every club will score against you, you will always yeah. lose. And that is a passion of being a fan, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it honestly is. <laughs> it really is. It's, sometimes, it's weird the way a fan's perspective of watching football. Like, I'd watch other teams, other Premier League teams play so well. Say, like, for example, a Chelsea or, or Liverpool and watch how they play. And like, why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? You know, how come we're not? How come, how come we just get into positions like that? It's just weird. But that is. The team actually are doing that. It's just, it's a weird perspective. It is. I think that is a great thing about being a fan. And, and the funny thing is that when I, when I played, I was never nervous. I loved my games. I, I, when I played Manchester United, I got inspired. When I played for yeah. the national team against Holland or whatever, I got inspired. But now I was, uh, I was doing a manager job at the national team for a couple of years. I was mm -hmm. doing sport director thing at Lillestrom, who was my club for a while. Yeah. I was so nervous. And I, when I see my son play, I can't even say that on the podcast how nervous it is. I think every every shot will be a deflection of him making an own goal. It's like it's like terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's it's the beautiful game though, Jan. It really is. It just it it's it's it gives us so many emotions that we just don't even know. I mean, I, I get in such an awful mood when Man United lose or when they draw, like the Everton game on the weekend. Just <laughs> I asked about that in an interview I did with him, and I said, Oleguna, you are a sensible guy, uh, and, and you are from Kristiansund, you're a calm guy, but in the injury time there, when it's panic on Titanic on that right side, yeah. that guy's doing a terrible pass, a terrible free kick, marking is terrible. And what do you say then when you come into the dressing room? I know you're not Sir Alex Ferguson, but what do you do? And he said, now, what can you do? But the game is over. <laughs> They're okay. <laughs> do you know what? He's so like, I really admire him in interviews because I know he goes into that dressing room and he, he definitely lays into those players, but he won't say it publicly. He no, won't. No. It's, it, I, I really do admire his strategy when it comes to protecting his players. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I honestly think. Frank Lampard, unbelievable player, but I think when he, you know, threw the likes of Havertz under the bus and Werner, I just thought that wasn't that wasn't the right way to go about it, you know. And I thought that ultimately led to his downfall as Chelsea manager. But these are new signings, as you mentioned them earlier. They're only trying to settle in, you know. And players are so well protected these days as well, you know. Yeah. And I think that I think that sometimes. 
something I said that for Frank Lampard and everybody said the first year was going to be so difficult because they couldn't mm. back players and I said at that time and I, I I'm not like I want to quote myself but I got it. that was the easier season for him because the expectations were low he can only win and he got forward some great young English players who, who are brilliant uh, by the way uh, mm. so it's it's a good point but, but the thing with, with, Ole, uh, with, with Ole is that I think that Ola is an answer of a new generation of football players. And sometimes we we judge managers based on the, the names that we were used to in the old days. Because Sir Alex Ferguson and, and the likes of Bill Shankly and, and these great main managers, they would, would survive in any generation because their football head, their leadership skills, they yeah. were so good. But a lot of these uh, new coaches, they need to be more sensible with their players because this new generation, we, they, they are more fragile. You have to see them. You have to talk to them. You have to listen to them. You have to understand it. And not, not only that, you have to explain to them why you're doing that. We do A because instead of B. And, and if we said in the old days, why? They said, fuck off. And if you said... Yeah. If you're one of the young players, you say, no, fuck off to one of the, these players. They have a breakdown. I mean, this is a new generation. They it need is. to play. And I'm not saying that they can uh, achieve uh, less than the other generation. It's just that they need to be motivated in another way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, and I think that if you see with, uh, with the club kind of hugging and all that kind of thing, that is his way. What is the downside of that? Well, when, when you start losing some games, then hugging is not so popular. And, and, and so it's so hard to be a leader. And what, yeah. what I admire all, all of for, and, and, and I, I will agree with what you said, is that all the will, if you win away at Paris, he will say, yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good for us. It was a good game. I'm happy for Rashford that he scored that goal. What do you think about a penalty? A penalty? Yeah, I guess the referee had right. So if you lose 6-0 there, he will, um, he will probably say it's exactly the same. He, he will, and, and I think, and I, I think that the players of today, uh, and we shouldn't judge Ole. And I've been so many fights and discussion with so many pundits about that. Yeah. We have to judge him for who he is managing today. And for Manchester United, you have tried everything. You tried a copy. Uh, you tried an old head that uh, w- should come in and do it all differently. You tried. Mm-hmm. The- a guy who won everything. So now you're trying one of the pupil of the big man. So yeah. you, what do you go after Solskjaer then? Where, where do you go then? I mean, he will probably, like everybody else, will be fired one day. But where do you go then? And I think that is also kind of leadership to analyze that as well. Absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with you, Jan. I do. Um, I think it's the right, they're doing the right thing at this point. It's, it's a long-term project. I remember Van Gaal saying, that it was, you know, this is a five-year project. And people were like, what? What, what are you saying? And, you know, actually, I look back at the Van Gaal area. Yeah, the football wasn't the best. But I think he knew the direction the club needed to go, uh, as opposed to Mourinho. I think Mourinho, I think Mourinho viewed it as short-term. He goes, I'm going to take a stab at this. Hopefully, I win the Premier, the Premier League. Hopefully, I get them to the Champions League final, and that's that. That's kind of the way I viewed it with with them. Um, yeah, but I think I think you're right, and I think that uh, first of all, we we should never underestimate Fangal because Fangal 
did that at Ajax. He did that at Barcelona. I mean, yeah. he's a funny guy that you that you do fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to I just have to tell you about my Fangal story because we were yeah. at Manchester United and I was waiting for uh, people to to interview. And mm. in this small room inside the tunnel of uh, Old Trafford. Uh, we were all waiting for uh, uh, for the big man, and uh, there was the, the Dutch channel, the Turkish channel, the Norwegian channel, and and Bain Sport. So we were four people in this small room, and everybody said, um, uh, "Fangal is coming, Fangal is coming." And we didn't know who get him because it's always a, a dogfight who will get the different interviews. And I I just had a player, so he was supposed to go to 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 Holland, which was his team, and then suddenly he arrived with Karen, and Karen is fantastic. Uh, the, yeah. the, the press. Uh, uh, head of press at Manchester United. See, and he just came in, and this is the tallest man alive. I've never seen a taller man in his my life. And with his hair, he was like he was like six, seven foot. So he came in, and he said to Karen, and Karen is a bit smaller, and 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 he said, "What do I do now?" And he said, and she said, um, "You're gonna." And she wanted to soft him to him, and she said, "You are you are talking to UEFA." I hate UEFA, and I said. And, and there were like three people from UEFA with these uh, suits. And he then pointed at their logo and he said, I hate UEFA. I hate UEFA. And then Karen said, uh, okay, we just have to turn around. But I've always, when I'm in those kind of situations, I always start laughing because I think it's so funny. So then he turned around. So I, I went after him and pointed at his back. And he turned around with, it, with his eyes going into mine. And he said, what? And I said, I know you hate UEFA, but you can't hate Norway. And I tell you why. Tell me why. And I said, yeah, we gave you 12 points at the Eurovision Song Contest. And then he said, and then he starts smiling. And then he said, where do you want me for the interview? Yeah. <laughs> and it was fantastic. <laughs> so that's my Bangal story. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a typical Bangal story. Well. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I just want to know as well. Um, Who's the best player you ever played against, Jan? Who, who? Oh, that is a tough one. Uh, there's, there's, there's many. Yes, there are. But I will say, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to a Man United fan, but I must say, if I take England, uh, the one I always got most impressed was because I did never understood him. Uh, not understand him as a character. I'm building up to one of your number sevens. But that Eric Cantona... He always had a space. And I, I couldn't understand that because when I came to England, I couldn't find that space. Where is that space? Yeah. And, then I, and then I saw it, Eric Cantona. He wasn't quick. He wasn't quick. Oh. He, he was kind of slow-ish, but he was very quick in his head, of course. But yeah. always when he got the ball, he had that... Uh, he, he, he had his head was going. He always saw he would be the best waiter in the world, by the way. You will never be neglected by him. He would see every table. So I would say... Eric Cantona will be up there. Uh, then I played with some uh, against some of the, the big big strikers, and and mm. I think sometimes because he now is a is a TV pundit, and uh, then is 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 for or against. But Alan Shearer, if you see his goal scoring record, is like unbelievable. And yeah. I guess you you only see that now when you see the Hurricanes of the Wayne Rooney's when you see how many goals they get, and then they are still like hundred after Alan Shearer. Yeah. Uh, so a fantastic, fantastic finisher. But, but I was I was very fortunate. I played at a time in England where when these players came through were, with a Dennis Bergkamp who was magic yeah. and obviously the class of '92 at Manchester United. The, 
that story is like uh, unbelievable. And, and 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 I played there at that time when Manchester United was starting to getting so good. And, yeah. and and I had three of my mates there, of course. And and uh, it was it made me proud to see that uh, mm. uh, there there were so many. Norwegians uh, yeah. at the same time and playing their part in that success of, uh, of Sir Alex. There was Ronnie Henning and uh, Ollie. Yeah, and then we had Eric Nevelon. He didn't get a lot of games, but he was Eric around. Netherlands, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we had four players, and for us at that time to to have uh, to have these players who more or less play all games. And and I'm doing a podcast tomorrow with Henning Berg, and I, I, like mm-hmm. I said. At that time, we t- and I will talk about him without tomorrow because I remember he was a bit frustrated not playing. And I remember at that time I played for Sheffield United and I said to Henning, you know, it's players like me, I will move clubs all the time. But if you're at Manchester United, you have to be a bit more patient. And yeah. there's, I'm for sure there are hundred reasons why he stayed, but uh, Henning stayed and he was a part of that the treble team, uh, yeah. which was fantastic. And You can thank Henningberg for the... Uh... Hello, clearance he made against Inter Milan in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, 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 sometimes, and I, I was a part of that in Eintracht Frankfurt. I scored a decider, and sometimes then everything else the team did at that time get in the shadow of, of that goal or that uh, spectacular yeah. game. And it's a bit like with Manchester United because, because everybody think of that thing in in Barcelona against a big team like Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, Munich hitting hitting the, the bar. I think it's Bas- no, Scholl. I think Scholl is hitting the hitting the the the, the, the post or, or the bar. But yeah. but it's unbelievable. There, there are some performances in there. Henning's clearance, Roy Keane in the semi-final, yeah. I mean unbelievable. And he and, yeah. and 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 they're going into the final and and just to win win three titles. Because it ends up, like you, Panke has always said when he was a manager of, of Bayern Munich, he said the, the two most important months for a club like ours is April and May. Mm-hmm. And sometimes everything kind of get decided that. And, and yeah. for Ferguson then to manage to keep them on the toes is, is like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. That guy is an all-time great, by the way. Your Panke is, he is an all-time great. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but in that generation, you have you Pinekins, you had uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. They yeah. kind of influenced from each other. There were there were some good uh, people around, and then you had completely other different car- characters that like Gerard Houllier, who wasn't completely yeah. other coach, but still that generation they knew so much about football. They were so they had the whole spectre, didn't they? Yeah, they had so they did. They had so much wisdom. They really did. Um, I just want to, I, I want to wrap it up well. We'll do a few impressions at the end, just the last question. I know, Jan, that you are inundated with questions about transfer rumours, particularly from my fellow Manchester United fans. I love it's that. Of- Manchester United fans are my favourite guys to talk with because, <laughs> because you are everything in one. I mean, there is, it's the same now. When is Just a, one, I'm a present guy. You get uh, uh, Diallo or Diallo or whatever he's going to pronounce his name. He's got two goals or three, four goals in the under-23. Forget Sancho. Get him in. We don't want Sancho. Do you know what? Do you know what, man? I, I honestly think you have a fair point because <laughs> it still seems to be that Sancho, that, that um, right-wing position, is the priority. Yes, it would be great if they get Sancho, but they need to be thinking about centre-backs, you know? But I also want to talk to you about the Sancho 
saga. It, yeah. Is because you must get so many tweets on oh, Sancho this, Sancho that. Oh, exactly. Looking forward to this all to just finish this conclusion to come to an end. Yes, uh, and I think that um, um, be aware now because what is happening now is that the, the, the team in the world with the most talented players are struggling big time. Mm. I interviewed my uh, <laughs> my young friend Erling Haaland yesterday. Yeah, uh, and. I talked to him afterwards. I said I couldn't even get close to what I really wanted to put you into because imagine uh, Dortmund challenging for uh, take the throne away from Bayern, and now they are 16 points behind. They are now in danger of not being in the in the Champions League, and they lose four million euro every game, which is empty. A lot of clubs do that, but for Dortmund, that is very vulnerable. Yeah. So what will happen now is that Jaden Sancho, and and at that time. People didn't believe Dortmund. That, that was an important statement for Dortmund with the deadline and with the transfer fee. Mm. Uh, Manchester United were at that time not willing to do that on time, but they talked to the player and the player had a very dip. He was he, he, in this August to December, he was not good at all. He looked like a lost thing. Mm. He's very good now in, in 2021 uh, in the games that we have started now and he's scored goals and he's back to his best. But the thing is that when the biggest talents in the world will be at the club, maybe, that will be in the conference European Cup that nobody knows what is, uh, then some of them will be sold. I'm 100% sure that Jadon Sancho will be sold this summer. Mm -hmm. I'm 100% sure that the strategy Manchester United did in 2020 was wrong in 2020, but mm -hmm. it would be right in 2021 because um, Dortmund need money now. Jaden Sancho will probably, when when they started off the season, I think they did a Cristiano Ronaldo with him, that, that Ferguson said, stay another year, do our best, and next year I will let you go to Real Madrid. And he yeah. said, okay, fair enough, I'll do that. And, I, and, I, and he did a great season. Mm -hmm. So Jaden Sancho is probably have that kind of uh, uh, agreement with, with, uh, with Dortmund. But watch out, because then who, will get, who can get him? I mean... I, Basically, there is only he won't go back to Manchester City. I can never see that happening. Sure. And Chelsea. Chelsea will have have thinking that well, we took the biggest talents from Germany already, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. Uh -uh. We uh, maybe we shall pass on this. <clears throat> and then of course Jurgen Klopp is a best mate of the CEO Watzke of Dortmund. So it will probably be between Liverpool and Manchester United. Mm. But Manchester United will have uh, uh, a nod ahead because they they will probably have more money available. I guess Glazers, <laughs> they have available. Liverpool have been a bit more careful about it. Yeah. But what is getting interesting is that I think that there was the plan of Dortmund to say, we let Sancho go, but Erling, there is no chance in the world that you will go. We will keep you. Yeah. Uh, we will sell. But imagine if they're not top four. Imagine if Erling Holland in the time... Uh, of his career now have to play Conference Cup. You have to play against Christian Sund and Sarpsborg and Wrexham uh, in, in, the, in Europe. Then he, I'm not saying, I haven't talked to Erling about this. I haven't talked to, to Alfie about this because we have, a, we have a kind of trust that I won't go into that. But yeah. no, but, but, but th things will happen. So, so people should be aware of what's going to happen in Dortmund because I think that the Dortmund players will be 
the most wanted in, in the transfer market. So I think that for, for uh, Liverpool fans, for Manchester United fans, they should follow the Dortmund results this uh, this spring, uh, this, these months now, because it's going to be very interesting. And Jadon Sancho was close to Manchester United. I think that Jadon Sancho wanted to go to Manchester United, uh, <clears throat> but they couldn't agree uh, on a fee and uh, they couldn't agree on the deadline. So that was... Um, I spoke to Sork, uh, Sork, the CEO. I met him, yes. and, and they they kind of um, we they played Lazio away, the first Champions League game, and these guys, these big power guys, they they tend to not follow anything. That's what I say. That is a part of the bullying. They say, "Oh, we don't read what you say." No, we don't hear about. So then he came straight over to me, and and he said. So what's happening with Sancho? <laughs> that was the first thing he said, and and then he and then he had some quotes about Manchester United, and I said to him, I think it's good for you that I don't quote you on that, <laughs> but but please give me some information next uh, next summer because of course it would be up for grabs. So, but 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 I think just to finish that long answer is that I think that the reason I think that that Sancho would be perfect for Manchester United is that. Manchester United need that sparkle. You need you need something. You got a striker, you know, Cavani, great. You you got Bruno Fernandes, great. You and but you need a bit sparkle in there. You need some young players. I mean, Manchester United, a global brand, not underestimated. You need you need and, and Sancho with the, with his pluses and minuses. He's one of those it players. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know, I, know, I, I agree. And um, as you said as well. You never know what this uh, Diallo kid, what he can do. I don't know. know. Hopefully. He could, start, he could feature, you know, from, from now until the end of the season. Maybe he's the next big thing. Maybe. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I know Fabrizio Romano spoke, I remember he spoke very highly of him. He said in Italy, you know, this kid was just, he was the next big thing. Oh, yeah. It's all, all about him. And, and to be fair to Ole Gunnar, and I said that yesterday in the studio, Ole Gunnar had three wishes. He wanted a, a playmaker, a quarterback. He got Bruno Fernandes. And everybody in, in England and, and all the rest of the world, we should be fair about that. We didn't know a lot about Bruno Fernandes. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knew. And he has been unbelievable in the, in the league. Mm. He needed a striker. It was hard to get a good striker. He didn't get Erling Holland at the time because they wanted to take another step. But he got Cavani. And Cavani... At that time, <clears throat> you may say that he was old, but he's producing on the pitch. And, <clears throat> and he wanted Sancho. So I think that Ole Gunnar, on that, on that level, he's been doing okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> look, I want to wrap this up with a few football impressions for you. Yeah, maybe we'll add in, we'll add in other ones, other general ones. Quiz. Uh, it's a quiz, no. Yeah. Is it a quiz? The what? Is it quiz or not? No. No, no, it's just me entertaining you. Yeah, this is oh, like... fantastic. Yeah. That's, I wanted to ask about that. Fantastic. We only have to provide just a few laughs if we can. <laughs> I will. I mean, obviously, we start off a hurry right now. Well, you know, you're fantastic. You know, I've, I've, I'll tell you, you know, you, you've been covering all the transfers for a long time. You know, you're fantastic. You know, I look, I look all the time. You know, I'm waiting for you to announce, you know, Crouchy and... You know, Jermaine and Nico Grantcher are coming back from retirement all the time, you know, so it should be, it's, it's, you know, it's terrific. It really is terrific. And of course, I wanted to do, I wanted to do club as well. Uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, obviously my, 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 you know, my relationship with the media is not the best, yeah, for sure. Uh, it was great, obviously, uh, last year, but, you know, these are things that are asking very stupid questions, yeah. That's all I have to say, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, 
what did they do in Solskjaer as well? Yeah, I have to say, yeah, I wish I could learn the, the Norwegian language so I could speak to you like you usually speak to me in the interviews, but I have to say we've been fantastic. Uh, Scott's been fantastic. The team are playing fantastic, so I'm very happy. Unbelievable, <laughs> fantastic. I want to bring in Jose as well. I think, I think there is too much criticism of me. I really do. I don't appreciate it. I don't. They forget I win three Premier Leagues, two Champions Leagues, and they say Jose has finished. I think that is very disrespectful. Well, I saw a brilliant Gary Neville as well. Yeah, I'm absolutely brilliant. Manchester United really need to improve in certain areas, especially the defence. I mean, David Hay is not the same goalkeeper he was a couple of years ago. Bringing Gene Anderson, maybe something like that, should be should be all right. I want to talk to you about it. You're coming to me about the Eurovision because I hate you, Rafa. They can go fuck themselves. But your question was very cheeky, but I liked it. You, you saw uh, what's the word? Cojones, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I want to bring on Rio Ferdinand, you know, unbelievable. Manchester United are playing well, you know, they're, they're being a little bit consistent. Some some games are a bit off, off the boil, but, you know, it's been all right. It's been unbelievable. As well, you know, you've got your dog there as well, Bex. Um, Unbelievable. <laughs> Great dub as well. Fantastic. You know, it's brilliant. I really like it, Yeah. And uh, obviously, I just want to finish with Harry Kane. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, you score goals. I score goals. You know, uh, I just love scoring goals. We're scoring head of goals. Uh, sometimes free kicks, penalties. Uh, outside the box. So, uh, yeah. I know, obviously, I just love playing under Mourinho. You know, he just gets the best out of me. I think the press have been very unfair to him. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just want to end this with Donald Trump, believe me. I'm not president anymore. I'm not doing anything anymore. Why not buy a football club? Why not just do something very exciting? It would be really great, believe me. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, you're unbelievable. And I, I, I people, I think that what, what people underestimate with the work you're doing uh, is like, you, you got to, because it's not only to to sound like them, it's like to find the thing they're talking about as well. Because I think that is funny. You must read a lot, don't you? You must follow everything. Yes, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I watched I watched too much television as a kid. That was my problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. You take them so well, and and I think and I think that the most people get honored when people do that. And. Uh, uh, when when people, they they will know about it, and I see that on Twitter when they when they follow you, that you think of and uh, you you have to end with uh, Carragher because I work with Carragher. You know, of course, you know, obviously, you know, Liverpool aren't the lot they were last year. I knew them before, but you know, th there should be some slight improvements. You know, obviously, you know, Klopp should maybe bring in a couple of a couple of young players, possibly. You know, buy a new centre back, the box two, but they're still playing Edison and Fabinho at the back. What are you doing that for? So, oh, I don't understand it. Virgil van Dijk is a massive, massive loss for the field, obviously. Huge. <laughs> That's fantastic. And Klopp. Who? Klopp. I'm sorry, I'll be kidding. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't ask me another question, Jan, because I'm just going to flip out like I usually do. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Not fair. <laughs> I would. <laughs>
I was spending when I, I worked for Sky Germany. I was spending. We had a, our um, our table, our, our studio pitch side. So every last ten minutes of every game, I was standing in the tunnel waiting to go out and be live. And I followed Klopp uh, pitch side. He was like unbelievable because he's always this close to being Poco Loco. So he's always this close, but always he gets his loses uh, or a charm to get back. You know. Listen, he's an incredible coach. He yeah. is. He's you know. I've been critical of him with the the way he's handled things with the media, but you cannot deny that he is he's one of the best coaches of the last 20 years. And I'm sure, as as much as I hate to say it, I'm sure Liverpool will be back and they'll be back playing the way the way they, they did last season, the season before. And um, you know, the, the loss of Van Dijk this this season through injury, um, and a couple of other key players as well, Jota. Is is huge to Liverpool. So no, they've they've had some unfortunate injuries. Yeah, I think I think you're right. But I think what, what it's what's good about Klopp is that he's one of those who can identify with the club. And I think that a, a manager, whoever manager you have, he is the most important amb- ambassador of the club. And I think what is the strength yeah. of Klopp, obviously, Ole Gunnar didn't have to do that because he got a Manchester United blood in him. But a lot of these coaches coming to clubs, you have to learn how a how a club tick, so to say, and 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 Klopp did that at Liverpool. He understood you get you get Sir Kenny Delglish down to do some finishing. You you're a good guy with the old players and the old guys, and 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 I think that's brilliant. And being part of a socialist Liverpool, a red Liverpool, and all that kind of thing. So so I think that is that is if you see back in the, in the in the English English football and you see the most successful ones, they have that in common. Uh, coming, from Shankly and Sermat Busby uh, uh, and Wenger and all these kind of guys, they understood how they should put the club into the society somehow, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, sir, I want to thank you so much for coming on, uh, for talking about your career, transfer rumours, a couple of impressions. It really was great. Um, you were a fantastic guest. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Jan. Really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. It was an honour to come on and get those uh, things going in, in Twitter. It's always highlights of my day when they're coming. So, I'm so sorry. You have a pod- Do you still have the, the podcast with Fabrizio? Uh, now, I, I got my podcast that I just used when I it's something to do with football yeah. or everything. So, you, uh, and yeah, good that you said it on record because I want to invite you today and I want to invite all the persons you have on that show we're gonna do i want to do i will find it just technically how we can get everybody on all your persons we'll, that I, we'll, we'll figure it out we'll, we'll get the boxes on we'll get the yeah, movie stars <laughs> thank you great to have you uh, be on Cheers, yeah, thank you bye bye Build your own unique bets and get the odds instantly with Betfred's Pick Your Punt Builder. Corners, cards, goal scorer and more. They've got them all. Download the Betfred app to build your own unique bets with instant odds. 18 plus BeGambleAware.org. Singles only. Pick Your Punt Builder is available on selected matches at Betfred's discretion. Visit Betfred.com promotions for more information and for full terms and conditions.